This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired their personal trainer as a caterer. All right, folks, let's keep this line moving. You there with the tongs. Picking up one Duchess potato at a time will not cut it at my catering table. Drop and give me 50. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Okay, this is what we call the wild mushroom and asparagus dip, dip, and press. Come on, let's get those plates above your heads. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Over the line, or closing, he's in. A backhander and a save by Tony Esposito. Stan Mikita was a small guy, very cocky in those days. A right hand by Magnuson, and he puts that guy down. Magnuson trying to tear his hair out. NBC Chicago's James Naveau. Odyssey Chicago Hockey Insider, Jay Zawoski. No more! Hawks win! Hawks win again! Chris Chelios in overtime! Part of Blue Wire Podcast. Came off the boards, he shoots, he's going down to the tanks! A game-winning goal! The Hawks live to fight another day! Falling back, circle and drives, get the drive, The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Chicago's going to be in last place forever. Play the center for Taves, he got a breakaway! Triple Threat Sports, Fry the Coop, and by the Cincin Law Group, let's drop the puck. Welcome in, friends. This is indeed a brand new episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5, and with me, as always, is the one and only Jay Zawoski of Odyssey, of uh, the I'm Fat Podcast, of best-selling authorship. And just in general, a really good guy. Yeah. Jay, how are you doing, bud? I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm so weird. Thanks for joining us, everybody. I appreciate it. James appreciates it. We appreciate you, the Madhouse Podcast listener. That's why we love you so damn much. Thanks for tuning in <clears throat> as I cough the COVID out of my throat. Woo! Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Follow us on our socials at Madhouse Pod on Twitter, Madhouse underscore pod on the old Instagrams and uh, Madhouse Hockey Pod on Facebook. We've got our tea public shop sale going on now. $13 classic teas up to 35% off everything else in store. That is now through Saturday. So jump on that sale. Every item in the shop is fully customizable color-wise, design-wise, all that crap. So jump in, buy some swag, help us out. We'd greatly, greatly appreciate it. A lot to get to in a short amount of time to do it. We're going to talk to Kent Simpson, our buddy, of the Simpson Law Group, he's gonna he's got some thoughts on the uh, new potential lawsuits against the Blackhawks. We're gonna talk about last night's win in Edmonton and update you on the GM search. I've talked to some people very close to the hiring process, and I've got some new info on a couple candidates. So let's get to it, James. Hawks win in Edmonton, four to one. Uh, my two takeaways: Mark Andre Fleury, pretty good. Kirby Doc, two points, scores goals when he shoots. Let's do it. 
I also uh, would like to point out that the team offensively is significantly better when Dylan Strom is on the ice. I mm. think that the evidence is clearly stacking up in that direction. And Weird. feels very odd to say that, like just as somebody who has been pretty critical of him uh, the last couple of seasons, there is a noticeable difference when he is on the ice. This team works a lot better offensively when he is out there, and he had another really solid game last night. It's it's good to see him. And look, we've talked about Strom a lot this year. I, th- I think the two names we've said the most on this podcast are Doc and Strom. And I'm, I think that because he's in the lineup more consistently – his game is becoming more consistent. You hear athletes talk all athletes. I just went to Minnesota for a second. You hear athletes say all the time how rhythm is so important and big layoffs and all-star breaks and all those things that can interrupt the rhythm that affects people. So if Dylan Strom is in and out, in and out of the lineup, that's tough to contend with. Now that he's been consistently in, he's been consistently contributing and I'm happy for him. Whether or not he's a Blackhawk when the trade deadline happens, on March 21st remains to be seen. I think it'd be a bit of a surprise, actually, if he is. But he sure as hell is making this case for sticking around. I think for the money he makes, you could do a hell of a lot worse than Dylan Strom. And, you know, is he perfect? No. You know, he and he's a restricted free agent after this season. But I don't see him getting a ton more than $3 million. He is arbitration eligible. But, you know, maybe he makes four for a 24-year-old guy? I don't know. We've been so up and down and back and forth on Dylan Strom. Um, yeah. But look, lately he's been better. Let's see how it lasts. The Hawks have, what, a month and 11 days uh, to figure out his future in Chicago. I can't believe the NBA trade deadline was today, and the NHL still has more than a month to go until theirs. It's such a yeah. weird system, and you have to imagine – a guy who's getting traded at the end of March, is he really going to get any type of a return with how little time there will be left in the regular season by the time that happens? It's very strange that way. I don't I don't get why it's so late. Had the season started late, it would make more sense, but it's just so damn late this season. It's usually early March, am I mistaken, or late February? Uh, it's, I've been used to it being in early March. I know it's generally after the NBA, but this still... It feels way later. It feels later than what it normally is. Yeah, no doubt. Um, anyway, it's going to be interesting to see how things shake out with the team come the deadline. Um, last night's game was just a goalie win. You know, they got some timely goals. They started really strong. They basically got spotted to a 2 nothing lead before Mike yep. Smith put his glove on the right hand and put his skates on. <laughs> and sort of was, it, was it just me, or was he, like, way deep in the net last night? Like, his ass oh. was touching nylon, it felt like. <laughs> he was like Denny Lemieux in Slapshot in, like, the opening scene where he's yeah. just, like, losing his mind early on, then kind of found his game and settled down as things went on. But, yeah, he was a hot mess in the beginning, and uh, the Hawks broadcast team was calling it out, too. He was it was really bad. Um, yeah. But hey, that's that game's 24 hours in the past. We've got bigger fish to fry. Um, speaking of fry, we want to talk about our friends at Fry the Coop oh and Fry the Coop yes. like that, that way. That was pretty hot. Yeah. <laughs> Get some of the best damn Nashville hot chicken you've ever had in your life. Oaklawn, Elmhurst, West Town, Prospect Heights, Tinley Park and coming soon to Darien. So if you're in the Chicagoland area and chances are you are. You've got to fry the coop very, very close to you. 
You will absolutely love it. The chicken tenders, the donut fried chicken sandwich, the chicken and waffles. How about the messy fries that they posted on Instagram yesterday? Uh, I will tell you, Fry the Coop's Instagram is not safe for work. You're gonna <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna make sounds that are gonna get you fired. So just you know, maybe watch them when you get home. Watch them in the privacy of your own bedroom. Uh, but they are they are saucy, man. Uh, Fry the Coop rules. One of my favorite places, and we're super proud of our partnership with them. So go visit them. Frythecoop.com. Uh, and, uh, again, Oakland, Elmhurst, West town, prospect Heights, Tinley park and Darien. Awesome. Love Fry the Awesome. Coop. All right. Yep. So the GM search is on today. I had a conversation with, um, someone very close to the Blackhawks front office about Jeff Greenberg, uh, because I thought it was interesting. Greenberg, if you don't know, is currently the Cubs assistant GM, uh, the Hawks, as we know, we're talking about going outside the box. This certainly fits that mold. And I was sort of curious what is his connection to hockey? Why, why of, you know, Jeff Greenberg, assistant Cubs GM, why would you hire him to be a hockey GM? First of all, from what I'm told today, huge hockey fan. Not that that's a qualification. He played competitively growing up. He was the captain of his high school team in Pennsylvania. He played undergrad hockey at Penn for four years, two of which he was the captain of the team. His passion has always been hockey he knows hockey's behind and they're thinking on development and acquisition. He's a big analytics guy, and I was told, and this is a quote, he's just freaking smart. He could be a GM in baseball, but all the super desirable jobs are filled. The big job market, you know, the big market jobs are filled. Um, so if he wanted to be a GM in baseball, it would probably be a lesser market. So I think he is truly a hockey guy who wants to be a hockey GM. And when I heard that, it made me feel a little more secure in knowing that, hey, they're bringing in someone that knows the game, someone who knows what to look for when scouting a player because he's been there, he's done that, he's played it, not in the NHL, but he's a player and knows the game, knows strategy, and to me, that's half the battle, right? And the intelligence thing and the insight thing and kind of the new, what excites me is someone from a sport that's way more advanced in terms of scouting and those sort of things bringing that to a league that's way behind in that category. Mm -hmm. And I think it's exciting. I'm not saying he's my favorite candidate, but it certainly makes it all the more intriguing when you hear that information. Obviously, I did not have the uh, same conversation that you did, but I do have a question, about, and I'm not going to dismiss, of course, his candidacy just because he's not a hockey guy. I think that the fact that Blackhawks are willing to kind of look outside the box can only be a good thing so long as they do so intelligently. But I think the question that instantly comes up to me is why not structure it where you have a president of hockey operations and a GM so then that way there still is that voice who is intimately familiar with how the hockey ops type of uh, situation would work. I know that he's done plenty of executive, you know, duties with the Cubs and uh, that's something that's good, duty. but he hasn't worked in an NHL front office. And I know that having the outside the box thinking is good, but it can also be a bad thing. If you're just going to get thrown into a job that you've never negotiated the type of contracts there are in the NHL, you've never done the NHL scouting. And I know he's got some experience in the hockey world in, you know, a certain sense, but other guys that they're interviewing, the Tulskis, the Chirillis, they all kind of know the game just a little bit better in terms of that front office dynamic. Is that something that worries you? No, and here's why. Uh, more information. has come. Here's all, here's all I'll tell everybody. 
don't worry about Chiarelli. I don't think it's going to happen. Okay. Uh, based on the conversation I had today, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that's a due diligence sort of an interview. Let's pick some brains. Let's talk to people who have done this for a long time. Danny Wirtz laid out why not the hockey ops guy and the GM, because this way he said before uh, before Rocky lost his damn fool mind, he said he knows who to hold accountable. The GM mm-hmm. is accountable. However, they're not going to hire just one person. From what I'm told, there will be a GM and probably an assistant GM. And the way they're seeing it is ideally you would have the best of both worlds in those roles, right? Hmm. And however you want to structure it, whoever the GM is and whoever the assistant GM is, the idea would be you'd bring together skill sets that complement each other as opposed to like just analytics guys or just old school guys. Maybe you have a good mix of both. And the ideally is you have a guy who is analytically and eye test driven, but sometimes it's hard to find someone that's, that's both. But right. from what I've learned, I'm very satisfied with how the Hawks are going about this. I think they've, um, they're approaching this correctly. I like their thinking out of the box. It doesn't mean they're going to hire them, but they're picking as many brains as they can. And, and the other thing I'm told that made me feel good too, was Rocky is just a figurehead. He's not, he's not making the day-to-day decisions. He's not going to be the guy who's going to have the ultimate say on who the new GM is. That is firmly in the hands of Danny, of Jamie Faulkner. And then of course his, um, the, the team assembled of Hosa, Sharp, and Olchek to, to assist in the search for the hockey side of things. But Rocky is just the owner. He's not involved in day-to-day. Um, and this source is imp- unimpeachable. They have no reason to lie to me about this. So I would say, Hawks fans, if you're going to take away anything from this conversation, feel good about the way the Hawks are going about the GM search. Whether or not they hire the right person, Of this crop of people they're talking to remains to be seen, but all the names aside from Chiarelli make some sense, right? You can see where they're going. You can see where their heads are at with it. And I'm telling you from what I learned today, they're doing it right. They're on the right path. And hopefully, you know, within the next week or two, we find out who exactly this GM is going to be and and potentially who their assistant's going to be. Yeah. And I kind of enjoyed the, uh, I, I've enjoyed the process, the transparency of it so far. It very much reminds me of the way that the Bears kind of handled their business. They like they told you exactly who they had interviewed as the GM. I'm glad we haven't had to kind of like find it out piecemeal from other sources. And in case our listeners are not aware, here are some of the names that have interviewed in addition to Chiarelli, who we feel, I feel like we've spent a lot of time on because it was mildly terrifying yes. when we saw that. So in addition to Chiarelli and Greenberg, the Blackhawks have also confirmed interviews with their current interim GM, Kyle Davidson, uh, Carolina Hurricanes assistant GM, Eric Tulski, former Montreal assistant GM, Scott Mellenby, and Tampa Bay director of hockey ops, Matthew Darsh, who every time I see his name, I always think of the South Park episode where Stan ends up getting involved in a ski race and the guy keeps calling him Darsh because it, his last name is Marsh. So sorry, Matthew Darsh. I'm sure you're a great guy, but I think of South Park every time it comes up. I'm sure he's never heard that before. No, um, of course not. <laughs> if you want to get really detailed on the GM search, uh, Charlie Romeliotis, our buddy for NBC Sports Chicago, wrote nice little capsules on every guy. James, before we take a break and get to our buddy Ken Simpson, 
here's what I want to see based on who they're talking to now. I want Tulski as the GM, and I want Mellonby as the assistant GM. That'd be interesting. That's how I would like to see it go. I really, I think that if they, if they try to hire Tulski as the assistant, he's not going to come here. No, I I think think that he has to get that head job. And I, I know uh, some of our listeners may not be uh, familiar with Tulski's name, but he is one of the top rising executives in the sport. He used to run Cap Geek, right? Am I or which uh, website was it? Oh, that's right. Which he he used it? to run a hockey salary cap website, and I'm trying to remember which one it was. I could have sworn he w- You know what? We can. It was. Tol- yes, it was Cap Geek. Okay. Yep. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't like losing my mind. But yeah, he got hired just because of his uh, obviously his interest in advanced metrics. And that's something the Blackhawks really need to get behind because clearly whatever they're doing now is not working in terms of developing a pipeline of talent from the minor leagues to the NHL. And I think that he would be a fantastic way to kind of rebuild that system. So his name definitely caught my attention. And then anybody you can potentially get from Tampa, just based on how well-oiled of a machine they are and how they've been able to kind of develop so many really good players. I wouldn't be too mad if it was Matthew Dart either. I think that those are, two really interesting minds that could do a lot of really great things with the Blackhawks. And look, if they decide to keep Davidson and hire on a guy like Mellonby as his assistant, I'm not going to be irritated about that by any stretch. But I just think when you have names like Darsh and Tolkien kind of in the mix, man, that would be a really interesting and I think ultimately a smart hire for them to make. Uh, correction, here's Tolsky's bio. I, it was a bad Google search by me. Uh, all thumbs. He contributed to NHLnumbers.com prior to launching there his own website is. through SB Nation. Yes, yes, Called yes. yes. He's, uh, he had the site outnumbered. He was also a featured panelist for MIT's annual sports analytics conference, and his hockey analysis work has been published in the Washington Post and 538.com. So yep. big, big numbers guy in Tulski. So that's that's what I hope. I like your pick. I wouldn't be mad if it was Tulski and Darsh either. The law firm of Tulski and Darsh. <laughs> Sounds good. We to should me. ask Ken Sinson if those sound like lawyery <laughs> enough names. I think they do. All right. Speaking of uh, Ken Sinson, he's going to be with us next. Don't go anywhere. Kent is always awesome when he's on the podcast. So make sure you stick around. You're going to really enjoy our conversation coming up next with prominent lawyer Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. We'll be right back on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Before we get into our segment here with Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group, I do want to issue a bit of a heads up. The language does get salty. There is graphic depictions of sexual assault. So make sure you're mentally prepared to hear conversation like that. Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Jay Zawoski here in Homewood. James Naveau out there in Bourbon A. And joining us now is our buddy, our pal, Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. Are you injured? Is someone at your work a moron and, and got your leg broke or run you over with a forklift? You're going to want to call Kent, 312-332-2107, or visit SinsonLawGroup.com. Uh, Kent, every time we talk to you, something crappy is going on with the Hawks uh, off the ice. Uh, we got to have you on during better times, but... Uh, We've got some new developments in the Bradley Aldrich situation. We have three new potential lawsuits against the Hawks, uh, one by Black Ace number one, who was originally part of the Kyle Beach, that initial story. 
We've got John Doe 3, who is a student at the University of Miami, um, who claims he was uh, sexually assaulted by Bradley Aldrich. And we have Paul Vincent, who was with the Blackhawks for a long time, also part of the uh, Kyle Beach initial story. Uh, Kent, you're the expert. Where do you want to start with this? What do we need to know? Well, I think, uh, you know, as you and I uh, uh, thought about this, one thing to start with is what are these guys saying, right? Like, so let's let's kind of like talk about like what their claims are and maybe not all the uh, details, but at least to the extent that they um, become uh, the kind of information that would lead to a lawsuit. So let's start with, um, well, let's see here. We could start with. John Doe three, the Miami, the Miami student, the Miami player. Right. So here's what we know about him. We know that he was not a hockey player, but that he was working with the hockey team in some capacity. So the feeling I've got based upon the public reports that are out there is he was like maybe a personal trainer, student trainer. And um, obviously Bradley Aldridge, after he leaves, um, the Blackhawks goes there as a video review coach in the same kind of capacity he had with the Hawks. So it would make sense that these guys were kind of friends. And I, and I didn't sense that this uh, student was being supervised by Aldridge, but he's clearly has told everybody that he's talked to publicly, that he looked up to Aldridge as his idol um, and that he was wowed by the fact that Aldridge had had all this relationships with the Blackhawks. Um, in any event, uh, one night they go out drinking and Aldridge suggests that he comes back, that that this uh, student, whatever capacity he was with the team, comes back and sleeps on his couch. And in the middle of the night, he wakes up and he's getting a blowjob from Aldridge. OK, he's horrified by that and basically runs out the door. And uh, at first he doesn't tell anybody. And then he starts telling some people and then he leaves that job he, he's detailed in the press about how he struggled with the kinds of, you know, what that's done to a psyche and about how he's, you know, that's impaired him moving on. Um, he at some point tries to make a police report. The police talk him out of it and say statute of limitations is run. But essentially that's, you know, uh, the, the guts of what he's said publicly. I mean, the problem with his case is none of these three were under 18 when this happened. So there's huge statute of limitations problems, you know, um, but and, you know, I think, you know, I, don't, I think that since the lawyers have known about these, these had these as clients since the middle of last year or their latest in December, they've they're well past drafting a complaint. They could put a complaint on file in 24 hours without a problem. I think that because of the statute of limitations problems, they're trying to quietly settle these cases behind the scenes. Um, you know, Kyle Beach had a big statute of limitations problem and then his case settled. So, you know, they're looking at that case saying, hey, listen, the Hawks need to buy peace. And especially after Rocky's performance at the last um, at press conference. The yeah. uh, second one out there is Black Ace One. And um, so what happened to him was he seems to be walking through some Blackhawks facility and he gets a text from Aldrich and the, the text of does two rather shocking things. One is it's a it's a it's a penis picture. Uh, apparently, Aldrich is sending a picture of his penis, but it also says to him, "I can give a better blowjob than any woman can." Um, and, and that's so that's the text. That's a quote, by the yeah. way. Yeah, that's yeah. a quote, right? 
And, and there's a woman that it, I don't think she's a supervisor. It's not my sense, but she's detailed in the Jenner and Black report, pretty detailed. And frankly, I think she's one of the few heroes in this because frankly, she's Black Ace One kind of blows it off like, oh, this is just funny. But she takes a look at this and says, you know, your coach isn't supposed to be sending you texts like that. Something's terribly wrong here. We need to let everybody know and find out what the heck's going on here. And, um, you know, I don't know whether or not she had ever received, you know, offensive texts like that and was sensitive to that or whatever. But she tries to do the right thing, even though Black Ace One apparently doesn't seem to have an issue with it. However, it does leak out somehow, either through him or through her, to the other players on the team. And then some of the other players on the team decide, well, if Aldridge sent you that text, that must mean you're having sex with them. And then they just start start hurling homophobic slurs at him the rest of the time that he's there. So, you know, and the, one of the questions that happened was, is, was there any physical contact between Aldridge and Black Ace One? And Black Ace One insists that never happened, but we just don't know. We do know that somebody else courageous, another person that should be looked upon favorably here, got so offended by what happened to Beach and what happened to Black Ace One that they contacted the players union and mentioned both of them by name and said, hey, you know, the, the, the NHL players union needs to do something about this. And the players union was very dismissive. I think, frankly, they took the attitude of one, these guys aren't actually on the Hawks. They're just maybe going to be on the Hawks. And so we're not going to protect these guys. And um, they just were real dismissive of it. Instead of basically calling up the Hawks and saying, what's going on? Where's your investigation? They, they did nothing. And they wouldn't even provide counseling services, which is just abhorrent. Um, in any event, so that's the second one. And then the third one is this Paul Vincent, who was the skills coach for the Blackhawks at the time. And, you know, he's one of the first people that's, that, that gets the information before it goes to the, the higher-ups. Um, you know, like the and, before it goes to McDonough and people like that, human resources. He's one of the first people that gets information that what's going on with Beach and Black Ace One. And his his response was all right. His like he knew that this needed to be investigated. He knew they needed to do something about it. His instincts was that the police should do this investigation. That's not really right. The Hawks needed to do this investigation. And it wasn't that the police couldn't also, but these were, for the most part, well, they were all adults. They were all over 18. And if the police were going to do an investigation, those people had to step up and go to the police. And for whatever reason, they didn't do that. But and it was Vincent's recommendation to management, hey, you need to contact the police. What the real answer that he probably the more sophisticated answer would have been, hey, your employee handbook says that when there's allegations of sexual harassment and sexual assault, you absolutely are required to do an investigation, right? Now, he didn't know that. He didn't think that through. But, you know, his heart was absolutely in the right place. And, you know, his, his beef is his contract was up at the end of that year. And instead of renewing his contract, they said, hey, why don't you go work in, in, uh, with our Rockford team, Right. So here's a guy that's just gotten done working with an NHL team that won the Stanley Cup and his big giant promotion as a renewal of his contract in Rockford, you know, and um, the sense of it was, is that uh, Al McIsaac said, you know, this guy isn't going to stop 
digging around when he finds out we haven't really done an investigation and they decided to punish him by getting him out of Dodge. So, you know, is are all of these cases good cases? Absolutely. Do they all have statute of limitation problems that are enormous? Yes, they do. So I don't know where that's going to go as far as that, but those are the new allegations. And I will say, it is not impossible. There are more victims out there. Oh, Bradley Aldridge yeah, was a sure. sexual predator. There's yeah. got to be more victims out there. And, you know, there have been people that have contacted me that are, you know, interested in helping me locate some more victims. And, you know, if I get calls that I believe are credible, we're going to pursue that. But I mean, the point of the matter is, is Aldridge was a, as a predator, he cast a wide net. And that's how that's how this thing got as bad as it did. Well, I think, you know, when we look back at the context of Rocky Wirtz uh, and his outburst at the uh, town hall meeting, we got the news of the new lawsuits. It was either the next day or the day after. It, regardless, clearly Rocky knew about those new allegations at that meeting and was clearly triggered by the question coming up again. And inexcusable, horrible, of course. But I think what he's thinking is, is this ever going to end? Are we going to keep getting everyone that Bradley Aldrich has ever sexually assaulted coming and suing us? Rocky, the answer is probably yes. And my response mm-hmm. is tough shit because, yeah. because it happened on your watch. Like, just like we talked about with, um, you know, just like we talked about with the, like the, the good things that happened with the Hawks, the Stanley cups and all those Rocky was front and center. The Rocky chance were happening. Even if he wasn't the guy making decisions and making trades and making draft picks, he was the guy. He was number one. Yeah. So when the crap happens, the same responsibility falls on you. And Rocky, you're going to have to deal with it. Whatever so, the inaction yes. by the Hawks is going to, this is going to be a problem for a long time for them. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, particularly on a sport that's doing everything it can to attract girls and women as, as fans. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, I went to a Hawks game not so long ago and it's, you know, it's, people are looking around going, you know, are you, are you approving of what the Hawks are doing and handling this scandal? And like, like you're almost shamed as you're at the game. Right. right. Yeah. And, and it, it's a, it's an embarrassing kind of, uh, and they say they've sold all these tickets, but you, when you actually go, there's a lot more empty seats than you can possibly manage it. Let me, let me uh, you raise an interesting point, though, which I would like to, I think, address a little bit. And that was what spurred Rocky's anger. Right. I think it's an important question, you know, and you and you make a good point, which is, you know, he maybe thinking, when is this all going to end? But I actually had a little different thought about this. I think that he needed to shut this down because there are questions that are totally legitimate that pe- that people should have about how this was handled in 2010 that he doesn't want to answer. And, you know, and I'll just give you an example of, of some here. Did you know about Kyle Beach's allegations in 2010? Okay. The Jenner and Block report says that he did not know. Okay. Right. But I think there are people out there that are claiming that he did know. So if he publicly says, I didn't know, and you're John McDonough and you're sitting at home and you talk to him about it, that creates a real dilemma, right? In other words, it's one thing for McDonough to have to rebut some report. It's another thing when somebody goes out in a press conference and says something that you know is a lie on something important like that, right? Yeah. So that a question like that's fair game. And, and Rocky's anger was because he was not, the question that he was asked was an easy one. It was a softball. 
but the follow-up questions could be just deadly. Another question was one of the reasons you fired John McDonough was because he claimed that, that you knew Kyle Beach about Kyle Beach's allegations in 2010. Do you think Rocky wants to answer that question publicly? I don't think so. No. <laughs> you know, but it's a fair question. It's absolutely a fair question. Why in Aldridge's resignation agreement was there a, a rule in there prohibiting him from ever talking forever with the Blackhawks about the allegations? Why was that in there? Who reviewed that agreement? Who drafted that agreement? How did that provision end up in there? He doesn't want to answer that question. You know, his, ask Rocky, have, the, have Maria Sartre, the lawyer that was sitting there when Aldridge resigned, okay, and John McDonough, have you heard from anyone that any of those people ever told anyone that you knew, were in the loop and knew what was going on, yeah. right? Yep. I mean, those are quite, those are deadly questions. And, you know, I watched uh, Kaplan yesterday interview uh, Rocky's son. Danny. Uh, uh, yeah. And, you know, is he asking these questions? I mean, Caps is one of the best reporters in the city. And but I mean, you know, he's asking them, well, you know, what have you guys done to protect kids in the future? That's an easy question. Right. That's a no brainer. These ones. It's also the question that Rocky wouldn't answer, which I thought was the big reason why they wanted to get Danny on the record about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, I mean, I guess the question is, I mean. Someone's got to get to the bottom of this. And, you know, I think Rocky's just going to run and hide at this point. I don't think we're going to see him. And, you know, I mean, here's the problem. You answer those questions that I just brought up and, and, and people start contradicting Rocky's answer on those questions. I mean, Bettman may need to call up Rocky and say, you need to sell this organization, right? That's how serious though answers to those questions could be. And that's why we deserve as the public and, and as fans an answer to those questions. In lieu of selling, if he resigns or steps down or just hands the reins to Danny and says, you're the chairman now, how much of this goes away? It really, it, 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 publicly, in other words, do people believe that even though his name's not on the front door, that he's still not running things? Right. <laughs> and how are you ever going to know the answer to that unless you're behind the scenes, you know? Right. Um, you know, I mean, if the answer to that is he really has turned over everything and he stepped back and he's really just an owner. Right. And he's not he's not running the team at all. You know, that's different than if he has, you know, lunch every day and, and tells his son, this is what we're going to do. Right. So from what I how are you going to ever know that his son's not going to probably out him on that so earlier on the podcast kent before you joined us i had talked to someone very close to the blackhawks leadership and i was told that rocky is very much in fact just a figurehead not involved in the day-to-day not making roster decisions he's just kind of the guy with like you said the name on the door but it's danny and it's jamie faulkner and and then of course on the gm search eddie o hosa and sharp but the day-to-day is danny Wirtz and jamie faulkner and rocky is really not involved in any sort of critical decision making. My thought on that is, is that they are, um, um, you know, we don't know how much Danny is having secret meetings with um, uh, the with his his father to, you know, take direction, right? And we'll never know that. I right. mean, sure. in those circumstances, you're just never going to know the answer. And and I think that would be the reason to say it publicly that Rocky would be stepping away from that role as chairman and allowing Danny who 
from all accounts, we thought that he was going to kind of run things temporarily until they kind of, you know, found a replacement for John McDonough. And now it seems like he is completely steering the ship. I think that formalizing that in some way is probably the best direction that the Blackhawks ultimately can go, especially after that press conference, just put as much distance between Rocky and the team as you possibly can. I think that's the most, you know, reasonable uh, step forward, I would think. But you mentioned several times that there are uh, statute of limitations uh, questions with these uh, new allegations that stem from, I believe it was the fall of 2012. I think the um, allegations from John Doe three, which were kind of the focus of Rick Westhead's really good reporting on TSN about this whole situation. Um, the, the university investigated the allegations against Aldridge, both in the John Doe three case and in another case as well. And a law firm hired by the university found them to be, to be credible allegations. Does Miami University itself, do they bear any sort of legal liability in a situation like that? I know you mentioned, uh, you know, the statute of limitations, but I'm curious, besides the Blackhawks, who else could potentially, you know, face legal action, I guess, in a situation like that where the allegations were found to be credible? Yeah, so, you know, the, 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 the question on that is you have a duty to protect people and protect people from harm that work for you, right? Mm -hmm. But you can't protect people from stuff that you don't know about. And, you know, you're supposed to put into place things to protect people so that, you know, uh, foreseeable events don't occur and allow people to uh, bad things to happen. So, in other words, if Miami University, for instance, didn't have a any place for people that were sexually assaulted to go to complain, right? Then you haven't set up the proper procedures to protect people. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's why most employee handbooks and student handbooks have explicit instructions about who to go to and who to talk to. Um, and then the other part of this is, you know, even it, it, they may have notice, you know, and there may be circumstantial notice. And again, like take what happened at Black Ace One, where this woman ha who works for the Hawks happens to be standing next to him when he gets this text message. Right. So that puts the Hawks on notice. Right. Right there. They yeah, have yeah. notice. Right. So um, that's another thing that can bear on this. But, you know, the tough part on this is. There's statute of limitations problems all around. I mean, it's not just suing the Hawks. It's suing Miami University sure. and everybody. I mean, typically the torts, you know, which a lot of this would fall under um, is two-year statute of limitations. And then it's like sexual harassment, uh, which also includes sexual assault, where you've got a, like a Title VII violation. Um, those, though, in order to initiate those, you usually need to make a complaint for the EEOC within 300 days of the actions. Um, so, you know, you, those are real, some real strict deadlines that are out there. Um, and there aren't a lot of ways around them. I mean, if the defendant fraudulently conceals something or that there's some equitable estoppel, these are legal jargon, but I mean, essentially, what are they going to say? I didn't know I was sexually assaulted. That doesn't make any sense. Right. So mm -hmm. like sometimes there are circumstances where people are harmed and they it's hidden from them. In other words, you have surgery, they leave a sponge in you. Right. And you don't get symptoms for five years. Okay. You can still sue the hospital five years later because you did, even though you didn't know, right, or, sure. you know, you know, you go in and you ask your doctor, well, what happened during that surgery? And they lie to you to cover it up because they knew they screwed up. 
you can still sue the doctor because they're fraudulently concealing and there's no way you would have known. But in this case, it's not like these guys didn't know that they got a text message. It's not like they didn't know that he was trying to give them a blowjob. You know, I mean, right. it's and it's not know that it's not like Vincent didn't know that his contract wasn't being renewed, right? And that he was being offered Rockford. So you got some tough statute of limitations problems here. Absolutely. Well, Ken, and I will point out that Miami University did uh, inform Aldrich that he was being investigated for uh, sexual assault and he resigned from the school uh, instead of facing the results of that. Something that is eerily similar to kind of what happened uh, at the end of his term with the Blackhawks. He yeah, was, I mean, you, you, you look at somebody like Aldrich, not only was a predator, but whenever things, the heat got turned up, right? he would just kind of change venues. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. you know, he was, a, he's a rolling stone, but you know, he, he wouldn't stick around to find out the result of any investigation. And that would, that's one of the things that made him so dangerous, right? Because yeah. nobody really knew this guy because he was the new guy in town. And when things started getting a little strange, he wouldn't stick around for me. He's off to his next victims somewhere else where they don't know. Him. Yeah. Right. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see where this goes. Um, you know, when when Kyle Beach came out and, and showed the bravery to come out publicly and, and show who he was, I know he inspired a lot of people to speak up for things that have happened to him. And I, I hope the more of these victims that come out and show bravery, it inspires, it inspires people yeah. to act accordingly. Jay, and, I, and I hope the Hawks take care of this the way they should. Yeah, and Jay, let me say this, because I've represented some people that have been in similar situations over the years. And I have had a lot of clients that have come to me and said, I can't complain about this because then no one will hire me because they'll think I'm the complainer guy. Right. Yeah, yep. And so I'm just going to like bury this thing and like pretend it didn't happen. And all I can tell you is a victim is a victim. Never apologize for vindicating your rights immediately when you've been a true victim. Right. Yep. And, yeah. and, and it, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, blaming Kyle Beach. Uh, but I, I'm begging anybody that is a victim in a situation like that, don't sit on your hands. You know, I mean, I know, I know there's that fear that if I come forward, that somehow nobody else is going to hire me or I'm not going to be able to make it in the NHL or I'm, no, no team's going to want me. You know, I just because I've just been I've been down this road and I just feel like people, you know, I mean, if Kyle Beach had to do all over again, would if he preferred to come forward sooner. I think, I, I hope he would have, you yeah. know, I just hope he would have. Yeah. It's tough. It takes and, courage and, though. Absolutely. It takes courage. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. It takes courage. Uh, well, Kent, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. Again, I want to let everybody know uh, Kent is our guy, personal injury cases. Give him a call 312-332-2107 or visit sinsinlawgroup.com. That's S I N S O N lawgroup.com. We always appreciate your time, man. And, uh, Hopefully next time we chat, it could just be about hockey. That would be yeah. wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully get some playoff games, but they got a long ways to go at the rate they're going. No doubt about that. Sure do. Ken, yeah. thanks so much for joining yeah. us, man. We greatly thanks, appreciate Thanks for having me on, guys. All appreciate right. It. Take care. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. Appreciate it. Take care. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Fry the Coop, Triple Threat Sports, and by the Sins In-Law Group. I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. 
And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.